Hey, people, today on Going Off Track is a very fun episode from Story of the Year, Adam Russell and Ryan Phillips, who are not here to talk about Story of the Year. They do for a bit, but we're going to chat about their documentary, which is called Who Killed or Saved the Music Industry. Uh, There's a trailer for it out on YouTube. I encourage you all to check it out. It is super cool. We had an amazing chat with them. Good, good dudes with, I have to say, hair that defies gravity. It's really incredible, especially up close. Yeah, and they've always been that way. I don't want to, you know, take away from whatever this documentary was about and how good the episode is, but man, they have good hair. Hair, hair is important. And I am not super familiar. I mean, like I did one tour with Store of the Year, but I haven't really been a huge fan of their music or heard a lot of it. But I thought those guys were so intelligent and so interesting. It really, I was really impressed with those dudes. It made me want to check out their music. I remember there was an, an intern I was working with years ago. Who was like, you know, I remember seeing the videos for Story of the Year, and I'm like, yeah, whatever, this band is backflips. Then I went and saw them live, and fuck, man, that band is backflips. <laughs> Gee, damn. And their sets are completely insane. I, I could never believe, you know, you always have the singer in a band. I'm going to climb the rafters and swing from something. No, the whole band, except for the drummer, would jump all over each other, like freak out, do flips, holding guitars. I don't know how they walked away with all their teeth. That's Cirque du Soleil you're talking about. Oh, I'm completely sorry. That would explain the tights and the music (laughs) without syllables. That was completely ridiculous. We got to do a big old talk about the music industry and and where it's going and and what's happening to it. And And we basically figure out everything. We we solved the problem. As per. You're welcome. So who saved the music industry? Going off track. Yeah, we did it. So yeah, if you want the answers, uh, here it is. It's going off track. Well, let's begin, shall we? Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, we have got in the studio today Ryan Phillips and Adam Russell of Story of the Year. Ryan is also in Greek Fire. Adam did some time in drugs. Adam did, did some, drugs. He yep. did drugs for a bit. And you guys are working on a documentary presently. Uh, what killed, parentheses, or saved the music industry? Who like, killed or saved? Who killed or saved the music industry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a specific person. <laughs> a specific it was a... Uh, it was one of you guys because you're capable of murder. Really? So I've yeah. Oh, yeah. recently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Inside Yeah, joke. we're actually in New York shooting a lot of stuff for the documentary right now. A lot of artists and industry people and production is in full swing. When did this start? Because you guys have been working on this for a bit. Actually, we started filming at Warped last year. And um, that was it, right? That was the first yeah. the first day of shooting. Yeah, we've been busy little bees, dude. Like, it's been pretty awesome. That's so cool. What was the impetus behind it? Um, you want the backstory? I can give you like a short yeah, kind of. Can you explain what it is to me? Yeah, with it. I mean, if you think about, I mean, we we've all been in the industry. We've all seen seen what's happened in the last ten, fifteen years. Like, you know, the big record advances are gone. The old business model, those rules don't apply. That shit's dead. You know, and if you think about what's happening, like on a cultural level, and you know, um, with this industry, it's like we felt like it's a really, really significant time in society uh, in you know culturally speaking it's a significant time in history and we wanted to document it um you know the effects of technology on how we make create experience you know music how we uh i don't know just from top to bottom and i remember um the long the 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 kind of condensed short version is we were in australia and um you know all the bands like on the um what was that sound wave Sorry, Soundwave, yeah. So it's like us, Yellow Card, All Time Low, all those bands, and we'd we'd wind up 
you know, like dudes hanging out, drinking beers, and, you know, we'd start talking about the industry and everyone kind of shared. Getting shit off their chest and kind of. Yeah, just kind of venting, a bunch of like dudes kind of sitting around venting and, you know, just talking shop, I guess. I don't know. And one day, um, I was talking to Mendez, the guitar player in Yellow Card. We were on a shuttle bus or something, and we were talking about everything, and it just hit me. It's like, dude, if someone had a camera right now, if, like, the average fan could just hear this conversation, if the average person just could hear what we were talking about, it'd be interesting as fuck, you know? So, you know, short answer, it's just that's kind of where it started. Like, light bulbs went off. Like, we should just get all these artists, in, uh, industry people, executives, like, everyone across the spectrum and just have a big conversation and film the motherfucker, you know? I find that stuff fascinating. Like, Me too. Like, how the paradigm shifts. I, I get... It's nerdy as it sounds, I get really tripped out with licensing and like, mm-hmm. you know, radio and like how you get paid from here and like how it works. Like if you're a hired gun as a guitar player but not in the band, like yeah. how does that work? Like how do you negotiate that stuff? Yeah. Nuts and bolts shit that you don't think about. You think, yeah. oh, the band's playing on Letterman. You don't realize, oh, we have to join AFTRA to play yeah. on television. We have to be in a union to do this kind of You know of what else is crazy too is probably a lot of younger kids. I feel like everyone thinks, like growing up, you think anyone you see in a band you hear in the radio is super rich. Dude, right. the, yeah, this- that, that misconception that disconnect between perception and reality is key in, in, in the story we're trying to tell you know because now more than ever rock music especially is a working class industry you know and like you said the days of the big advances you know record advances publishing advances so on and so forth are gone and it's all about touring and we're, we're just we're out there working as hard as we can to be middle class artists essentially you know so I mean, dude, at the end of the day, it's fucking amazing. We get to drive around and play music, and that's our job. And it's awesome. But that disconnect, like, I, I think, especially, like, if, if, you know, you're dealing with, you know, hardcore bands and, you know, not, like, the top 40, the, the stuff off, kind of off the mainstream radar, I think the, if the average kid knew, like, how much an artist makes per year in that band, it would blow their mind, you know? Because I talk to kids all the time, you know, it's like, Oh, you're you got you got music on iTunes. I, you know, I, you've, your CDs have been in Best Buy for years. Like you're good, right? Tab, bar tabs on you. You got that story of the year money. It's like, yeah, right, dude. I am selling furniture on Craigslist. You know, people don't know. What do you guys think of like the 360 deals and that kind of stuff? Do you think that that's a? I think it's a temporary solution to an ultimately much bigger. I, I guess I don't want to say problem, but just issue. I think it's very short sighted. Definitely nearsighted on the part of the record labels. I mean, um, I get it. You know, re- record sales are down, so they they want to get a piece of everything else. But if there if there weren't al- already so many hands in every artist's pocket, you know, you have to, you, you have a lawyer, you have uh, an accountant, you have a manager, you have a you know your label. Everyone's commissioning everything. If it was all in house. You know, everything within the label, like it was when things kind of started in the 50s when it was the singles market and you would go to the label studio, you would record there, you had your publicist and manager all in-house, that's a little different. But for the label, just the record label who's putting out the records to take take from your touring, take from, you know, your publishing, take from, take from all these other revenue sources, while you also got your manager taking 15%. You know, lawyer taking five, all this, it's, you just literally cannot sustain. Do you feel that the industry did it to themselves? Absolutely. There's a book called uh, Appetite for Self Destruction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Which I, I, the crux of it is it traces it back to the CD. 
CDs were cheaper to make than cassettes, but they charge more mm -hmm. to sell them. So for years, you have fans paying 18 bucks for something that costs two. Yeah. And of course, recording costs and the, yeah. the points, you know, um, that that almost forced downloading and forced massive mixtape making. Mm -hmm. I think we all grew up trading tapes. Dude, absolutely. But not Recording on a massive, stuff off the radio, like all that. But yeah. not on a massive scale that the internet provided. Right. And, yeah. and not at absolute identical full quality right you know, it, yeah. it's one thing to record a song off a radio and it starts with the end of a commercial and it ends with the beginning of the next song it's another thing to have literally the exact copy of the full quality file just floating around the fucking internet you mm. know what i mean yeah, so, your your art put out there that you worked on blood sweat and tears yeah time like ryan always says that time the most valuable human commodity you know all that hard work and passion and Hopefully, talent. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's like that, the, the money thing is a whole separate issue. But to me, um, time. You know, my human experience on Earth, time to me is the most precious thing. And I have to, you know, leave my daughter. I don't get to see my daughter for a month because I'm in some studio making music. And then when I am home, half the time I'm just like stressing out and not sleeping because I'm trying to like I'm just trying to get it out and trying to you know trying to do it. You know, and then all of a sudden, you know. It just, you know, people say it doesn't have a value, you know? It's kind of tough sometimes to swallow that, you know? Well, it's weird that you're in an object, you're, you're doing something that's completely subjective yeah. to you and into an objective marketplace. Where exactly. Where judging your art. It's the same for, for all art. What's interesting about the music industry is the same that I guess has been what happened with songs, the same thing that happened with t-shirts. You know, you would go to your show and there's guys selling bootlegs of your t-shirt mm -hmm. and now it's, you get songs. Yeah on the internet that you can get and people aren't buying the record but they know your songs mm -hmm. you know it's very right. interesting how responsible do you guys think when the napster and all that stuff because i've read a lot of this a lot of people say that the labels going against them yeah. so much instead of working with them and then itunes being like okay but not being super artist friendly like yeah. how much how do you think things would have been different maybe if the labels had worked with downloading instead of going after people do we we had this day different yeah, yeah. We, we um talked to kevin lyman he's behind Warp Tour, everyone knows Kevin Lyme. But uh, dude, he told us a really interesting story about when he managed Less Than Jake. Right when Napster was kind of like becoming this thing that everyone knows, you know? Um, he went to the label and was like, you know, we have to, you know, we have to, to be on board with this. There's no going back. Like, this is the future. Like, we have to, we have to think forward, you know? Let's maybe give a couple, throw a couple Less Than Jake tracks on that. Not the whole record, just two tracks, whatever. Let's, Let's embrace this and run with it and be ahead of the curve, you know? And he said the, the whatever label they were at the time, you know, it's like, absolutely not. We will never, ever support digital music. It's never going to happen. And I think that's kind of part of the, you know, across the, the, the gamut. I think that was the attitude with all the people at the top, you know? Well, you're not embracing, the, you're, you're backing the buggy whip, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like when, when cars came out, you know, people were still trying to get the horseless carriage going. Yeah. You know, and there was, you know, it was VHS Betamax. So a lot yeah. of people put all this money in the buggy whip. Nah, it's going <laughs> to be this internal combustion thing that works better. Yeah. And it was trying to figure out a monopoly for it. So with the people you're talking to, is it running the gamut? Is it musicians? Is it labels? Is it everybody? Yeah, we're... Um, you know, we, we went to those that were within arm's reach first. You know, the bands we've toured with, bands within the handful of rock genres that we've kind of been connected to. Um and those industry people also that we've worked with, but we're really trying to kind of diversify genre-wise and get to 
you know, all levels of players in the music industry from all the way from, you know, we interviewed uh, all time, our friend Danny, all time loves guitar tech, you know, and then we're interviewing, you know, you know, the VP of Live Nation, you know, so the full spectrum because every everyone's severely affected by this paradigm shift. Yeah, you know, it's, it's top inc- to bottom. It's incredible. And I think going at it from your standpoint, this guy's in a band mm-hmm. making a living is a really interesting perspective to have. So had you shot a documentary before? <laughs> we did we did um we've always done the visual stuff on you know, with story of the year from the very beginning. Actually the the, the way we essentially got signed was uh with this promo video that we gave to John Feldman that we, you know, snuck in his bus and gave him one at the signing and everything. We played this radio festival 12 years ago, I guess, in St. Louis. It was on VHS tape, you know. It's like a 20-minute mini-doc EPK type thing. Oh, yeah. Our story of the year documentaries, Adam and I edited, filmed, directed, edited, produced, all that shit start to finish. Um, We did a couple of our music videos. We've done videos for other bands and stuff like that. So we've behind the scenes, we've always been kind of the creative force you know, where's that come stuff. from? Did you go to school for that, or just picked up a camera? And... I grew up watching the Pantera home videos, and we essentially wanted to make our version. Dude, you of know that. where it came so from? That's where it started. Just to be completely <laughs> transparent, we can, we you know we're a bunch of Midwest dudes from kind of middle lower class neighborhoods, and none of us grew up with money. And you know when we decided, hey, we need a an EPK. We didn't have any fucking money, so if we want one, we have to learn how to do it. If we want album artwork, we didn't, we couldn't pay a designer. It's like, well, better learn how to use Photoshop. And that's been that way our whole career. It's like we've never had money or resources to do that stuff from the get-go. So we just had to learn everything. Like literally learn everything from, from scratch. It was just kind of out of necessity, you know? Straight up DIY. Didn't yeah. you guys have, didn't you guys like shave John Oates' head or something? Dude. We shaved one of his eyebrows off. <laughs> he, he was. I remember this video. Our, our yeah. poor, like. Yeah. <laughs> So, a friend of ours who came up with us, he was kind of like the fifth member, sixth member that, uh, you know, was our tour manager, tech, whatever job he could do. He was he was like part of the band from day one. He ended up co-managing us and then managing us and then moved on to do some festival tours. And he's doing a lot more stuff like that now. He's a really, really successful person in the music industry. Yeah. But we're, making hundreds, we're making hundreds a year. He's making like, he's doing good. <laughs> Maybe but you that poor have bastard. Shave your <laughs> when he was yeah. our tour manager, he had a couple nights where he got just blackout drunk and passed out in the front lounge. Which and, and the rule is, if you pass out anywhere but your bunk, it's fucking fair game. <laughs> so he passed out in the front lounge. We we drew all over him. We shaved his eyebrow off. We shaved a big stripe in his head. Our big, huge, like three hundred pound tour manager smacked him in his face with his huge bear claw hand as hard as he could. It's all on our DVD. <laughs> Remember Timmy? Remember our big ass? Yeah. He, Did you guys shot and edited this whole thing? Yeah. This carnage? Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, obviously, this, this translates into a documentary that's going to help everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Of course. But, yeah. Um, but also to clarify, you know, this, this documentary did start from kind of a place of frustration, but it's really become over time, you know, through us learning from interviews, from researching, reading blogs, writing, everything, that... Um, we're really in more of a positive, forward-thinking, kind of optimistic place now. And um, the future looks bright. It's just this transitional period that's rough on artists more more than anyone, you know? Do you find that there's, with interviewing people, are there people that are 
holding on to the old guard or people now embracing change? Is there a solution? There's definitely, we're definitely getting opinions from the whole spectrum. An answer, a uh, solution, I don't know. Yeah, it's, the the answer, I don't think anyone has, man. Like, the the, the cliche, it's the Wild West. Like, no, there's, no, the, no rules apply. It's just kind of, you know, we're kind of making the rules as we go, you know? And I don't know, it's been really fascinating to watch some of these people. Like, some of these, we interviewed a, a gentleman yesterday, you know, been in the business 30 years. He's kind of a legendary dude. And to hear him talk is a little different than, say, you know, a 16-year-old scene kid, you know, night and day. But still, I, th- I think everyone, when it all comes down to it, like, we all got in this because we love it. I started, I picked up a guitar, he picked up a guitar, dude, because we love it. I never thought about making money. It's like, man, I just, I have to do this. I love it. And that's been really, really, um, you know, on a personal level, really awesome for me to hear is that, like, it's been that way pretty much with m- most of the artists we've talked to. It's like, everybody's just like, yeah. Like, but the dudes from The Used, like Bert from The Used, his interview was incredible because it was like, there's no more rock stars, there's no more money, shit sucks, but you know what? Who cares? Like, I love this and I'm going to do it no matter what. Fat Mike was, bar none, just amazing. You know, that same thing. It's like, we all got in this because we love it. Money's not there. Who fucking cares? This is what we're supposed to do, you know? How do you think, like, the crowdfunding, you guys did a Kickstarter for your film, we did one for our podcast, and... I'll be honest, like, we had, like, some backlash. People yeah. were like, why save up, you know, you should save up the money. Why are you putting yeah. this on your fans? And you do see bands who will do stuff and the incentives are, like, mm-hmm. they're trying to get money and then doing it. I mean, like, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like that's a future? Because I feel, I get conflicted about it sometimes, too. Well, one, there, no matter what you do, if it's, if you're doing anything that's even remotely, like, bold and, you know, like, challenging, you're going to have a backlash. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're not, if everyone's just like, oh, this is amazing, you're not taking enough chances, you're not doing something bold enough. That's just my opinion. Um, but two, like, I think the whole Kickstarter crowdsourcing movement, dude, I'm sure there's going to be people, and there are, there has already been people that have taken advantage of it. But, you know, it's a pretty poetic, awesome thing, because people get to choose what products, what pieces of art, what records, whatever. It's, like, it's in the consumer's hand. It's not in a corporation's hand. It's like, People can choose what gets made and what projects are funded. I don't see how that's not just organic and poetic and awesome. Yeah, know? and it's, it fosters, I think, a sense of community, too. It's Absolutely. like all these people come together to make this thing exist that wouldn't exist otherwise. Dude, what, what's, your, like, what's your, a band you love? Like, like when, not now, like say when you were like uh, 16. Like, who did you like love? Like No Effects. No Effects. What if No Effects said, you know what, dude? Um, instead of going to... Best Buy and spending eighteen ninety nine on my eighteen bucks on our CD. Um, I'll sign something for you, or I'll give you some kind of awesome experience if you just more or less just pre order it. I think about that like if you know a band, a band like I love Bad Religion when I was a kid. You know, if I you know if I got a signed poster or I got a phone call from one of these dudes or something to help make their art and feel like you have a stake in a in part that of album, it? you're like you're an, yeah. an investor in a way in in some art. I think that's. Incredible. Yeah. I feel too. like it is a, a bubble to a certain degree. I feel like it's very popular now. And if it is abused, it may it may run its course and not really be a long-term thing. But I think that concept is is the future in, in some way. Well, I think Veronica Marsh changed the game last week. So, Yeah, how much money did they, they make? They made 
they made two million in twelve hours. Oh my god! And what, I didn't. Yeah, this is news was, to me. Yeah, it was um, uh, Rob Thomas. You know, he created yeah. the show Matchbox Twenty. No, <laughs> um, the, the guy who created Veronica Mars. I never watched Veronica Mars, and I feel like I need to go back and watch it. But it was a short-lived show. Got canceled. So they talked for years about doing a movie. So he and with support of the full cast, everyone's already involved. Who's the main girl? Uh, Kristen Bell. Okay. Uh, she she's into it. They so we'll do a Kickstarter, and if we make you know two million dollars in thirty days, we'll make the movie. So what he did was he went to Warner Brothers and said, "If I do this, will you distribute it?" Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times when you make a movie, you know, like when you make a record, mm-hmm. there's promotion and marketing costs that are you have nothing to do with. Yeah, right? that yeah. you have to pay for. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's like anytime a band ever gave me a CD, there was always this twinge of guilt when I took it because I knew they paid for me to have it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a weird thing. Yeah. So what they did was he set up the distribution deal, which I don't know how that works, but it's separate. So he raised the money on Kickstarter and they wanted in 30 days to make $2 million. They made it in 12 hours with fan support. Yeah. So it's this, it really it shifted the game because it combined the crowdfunding with a major corporation. Yeah. Dude, if you think about it, like... It's 2013, man. In any direction you look, someone's trying to sell you something. No matter what, there's content just annihilating you at all, every second of your life. Dude, if people didn't want to invest in something, they wouldn't. Adam and I didn't go to people's doors, knock on it. You have to fucking give us... Like, people did it because they believed in it. But you guys had already done a lot of legwork with the documentary before the Kickstarter. For sure, yeah. Yeah, and so this was... You know, you got to a point where to finish it, to make it work... Yeah, you, you went to fans. Yeah, yeah, because we, we, up until this trip and a trip we made to Los Angeles, we we've just been kind of interviewing artists as they've come through St. Louis, you know, which, you know, uh, of course, isn't free, but it's uh, not like trying to travel the country. So when we really wanted to take it to the next level, that's when we needed the Kickstarter money. That's why you know that's why we're traveling. That's why we're. Over here right now. Well, I like the PBS model of Kickstarter, where you know it's like you give us this amount of money, we're going to give you a record. It might cost more than if you bought the record from a distributor, but you're helping us directly make it. You're in the credits. You know that's usually yeah. the straight up line how it works. You know, instead of getting a tote bag, you're going to get um, you know a shirt or something. Mm-hmm. We all know how much venues take from merch. Yeah. So you getting it for this amount of money is actually a deal. Yeah, you know, so I I think it's super cool, and I think it's gonna we're gonna see more of it in the future. And again, you talked about abuse; they're gonna be dipshits for like, yeah, fund my trip to Disney World. Yeah, we yeah, should yeah. do that. We <laughs> should do that. Well, I think the other problem too is it's so technology is moving so fast now, so exponentially that it's hard. It's easy to be short-sighted because you don't know like what's gonna happen. Like if you showed me an iPhone ten years ago or five years or whatever, like yeah. you never think like so. Who knows what's gonna exist? Like. I think keeping up with that is getting more and more difficult. Yeah, and I, and I think that is part of the problem with with the piracy as well. That the, that the exponential nature of technological evolution. The, the, the CD went out the window, and the MP3 came in. The Napster shit hit the fan. Pirating became this huge problem in less than a generation. There wasn't enough time for parents who bought CDs and tapes to tell their kids, "Hey, that song that you're downloading." is the equivalent of this. And for you to take it is the equivalent of you walking out of the record store. It's actually better for the artist to steal it from the record store because at least the record store is going to go restock the motherfucker. <laughs> you know? So, um, 
Yeah, there just wasn't enough time for. I, I think a lot of parents didn't even know. They had no clue that this technology existed. In the 90s, my parents, you know, when the internet was coming up, number one, they didn't use it. Number two, if I tried to explain it to them, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have yeah. even understood the concept of an MP3. He or, knows a lot about sex very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, complete side note, I got to devolve this conversation way down. Isn't it weird that there's parents now that listen to, like, Snoop Dogg and, like, all, like, the you know, yeah, like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. there's parents out You're there. You're a parent. <laughs> like, I know, but, like, when I think, uh, there's, like, 35, 40-year-old people that's, like, their jam is, like, NWA and Snoop Dogg and, like, all that. Like, it's just weird. Like, Dude, 20 years ago, like, uh, I, I, I think In Utero came out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, like, think like, about that. When you're a kid, it's, like, your parents, like, you, like, what you listen to, by, 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 by rule, your parents had to hate it. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying. But like now, there's just like all these parents that grew up. You know, their jam was NWA and gangster rap and all that stuff. It's really weird. I, I was at a, a stoplight the other day, and there was this lady who was like 40, or whatever, and it was just like, it's like you know, you can't see what I'm doing on the podcast. But <laughs> he was fist pumping like a fiend. I'm not articulating <laughs> myself really well, but I think you guys know what I'm no, saying. No, I met a girl yeah. the other day, and she, I was like, she was like, oh, my mom's really into like the Postal Service and indie rock. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, that is. I mean, she was younger than me, but I was like, that is so weird. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, but it, they're it's, into it because there's no generation gap anymore because rock music yeah. and most music has not evolved at all. Well, the, and that's what's interesting too. Like I had a conversation with this with someone. They were like, you hear. 70s, 60s, 80s, 90s, those eras all have a distinctive mm-hmm. sound. It's like, is there a sound now? It seems like everyone's just kind of taking, and I guess it always was that a little, but yeah. especially, like, I can I, imagine being, this sounds like it's from 2010. Yeah, yeah, and I'll, and I'll, paper, rock, scissors. Okay. And I'll, on that same note, uh, go ahead. You got it one. Go ahead, you won. You did win. Did he? I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I think the sound of now is just this, like, pristine you know, everything to the grid, everything auto-tuned, like, sonic... Four on the floor. Fucking blast. You know what I mean? I think, across the genre spectrum, I think that's the sound of now. Also, too, I, I feel like there's less, like, um, like, uh, like, tribes, you know? I feel like there's less... Like, you talk to a 16-year-old kid. This kid will, like, LMFAO, maybe, like, um, Mumford & Sons. A Day to Remember. A Day to Remember. Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber. Keep talking. I'll just repeat what you say. You don't find you grew up the same way. I think if you look back at what you no. listen to, you'll no. find it. Nope. Really? <laughs> no. No, dude. Did we you were... didn't have any cross-pollinating in hip-hop or anything when you were listening to Bad Religion as a kid? I think it's just more extreme I, I, th- I think you guys have I agree with older. You. I think that's what it is. Maybe. But, I'm just saying. But like... Yeah. I feel like when, you know, our generation, there was like the skaters and you listen to this and there was like, you know, the the girls that listen to CNC Music Factory or whatever and I don't know I just felt like there was a it was I don't know I just I, maybe I I'm, think maybe I'm way of, off base but I, I just feel like kids now like we, we live in an age where like of instant gratification instant access I just don't think there's like I think kids just listen to everything across and everyone's the spectrum connected now. you know uh, by social not, not networking so I think kind of clicks are kind of breaking down a little bit you know I, and I feel like the concept of a guilty pleasure is kind of dissolving to a certain degree. You know, I see kids on Twitter all the time. Like, a lot, a lot of Black Veil Bards fans follow me from touring with them with drugs. I look, I see those kids, they're just, you know, they got the, the makeup and all the shit, and they're also fucking Justin Bieber fans. Like, fanatic Justin Bieber fans. But don't you it think, like, my mind. like, don't you think there's a level of irony in that that's kind of permeated 
that I don't know. Like I feel like it's like, oh, I'm into this, and they might really like it, but it's also like you can't tell what's like sincere anymore, yeah. sort of, especially with that generation. To me, at least, maybe they just dig a good song for a good yeah. song's sake, not who sings it. Maybe I think that's you know a great thing. I, I, had a, I had a teacher in college who got very angry at a student who was writing about a movie and about a woman. She said this movie was just very modern for her time. The movie was made in the 40s. My teacher got so irate. And he said, you know what the difference between you and Antigone is? You have a Walkman. That's it. She was a modern woman, you know, in, in BC, whatever. And that was it. And there was a story written about her. And it translated to now. People don't change. Technology does. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we've been changed in 50,000 years. They're still goofballs. What I think is fascinating about the internet and the way it works is that that shit could stop. (laughs) Are you a doomsday prepper? No, no, no. (laughs) No, just like the internet could shut down. And then like cell phone towers could shut down. And then then where were we? Where we are 20 years ago, you know? North Korea. Yeah, North Korea. Wait, what? (laughs) I wasn't in North Korea 20 years ago. (laughs) No, I'm saying that's what it would be like. Oh, yeah. They have cell phone blockers. They don't get anything. Dude, even when we go to China on tour, it's like you can't, like if you went to YouTube or and tried to look at certain videos, they're censored. You can't mm-hmm. look at a lot of shit on it. There's complete censorship on a lot of stuff. Have you guys looked into how record sales have been affected in different genres? Because I feel like it does seem like some of those modern rock bands, like where their fans don't aren't as technology dude, country. savvy. Country, exactly. Out, it's still 1996 it's le- with yep. country. <clears throat> yeah, that, I mean that's really interesting too. Because especially when people get into album sales, because I'm like, yeah, like. Nine Inch Nails fans and stuff are probably so much more, maybe apt to donate, but more apt to download, I would think, as yeah. opposed to like, I don't know how to work this, whatever, I'll just They're buy it at Walmart. It's definitely a demographic thing, yeah. for sure. Just stereotyped and No, I mean, that's, that's like the most pretentious fucking thing yeah. I've ever said. Yeah. But you know what I'm trying to say. Definitely you know, they the, drive stick. Yeah. <laughs> fucking hillbillies. The more uh, rural types aren't as savvy aren't as tech savvy right so guys we're perfect people <laughs> yes, yes. we're better than everyone i mean, I mean from my view up here yeah well it's interesting you talk about like you know uh like lower middle class or working class people in bands now mm-hmm. i mean country that's that that's the cru- that's like where that is like that's mm-hmm. that's their baseline mm-hmm. of that kind of music but i feel like when i watch like award shows or something and there's like modern country it's like all the girls look like supermodels. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like it is, like, just it's not like... But, but that's the crossover shit. That's you know a crossover I mean? that's shit, the, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like real the, real the, country are struggling as, you know, all hell, you know, that kind of thing. What um what I think fascinates me about the downloading in the internet is I've had this conversation with, with bands before, and I want to get your perspective is, what is your viewpoint on libraries? Because for years, libraries will buy a CD... And you can go check it out for free mm-hmm. and go home and copy it, you know, and there's nothing to stop you saying, you know, it's, um, uh, it was like the lawsuit they had in the eighties against Betamax, mm-hmm. which was, we have to stop this because it's going to ruin the industry. It didn't, it made it better, but it also made accessibility of copying things faster. Now with the internet, whatever it's changed, but, uh, is anyone discuss that like what should we clarify I, what a library is for country music fans <laughs> yeah <laughs> start totally kidding go ahead they know. <laughs> that's where we get the books for free <laughs> i'm from north carolina just like to point that out uh, that's genius i <laughs> i think um <laughs> cory brandon will never come back on that i'm sorry i love you cory <laughs> i i don't it seems like it's probably been years since anyone has really made a i mean i remember 
talking to fans actually about how they would go to the library, rent CDs or whatever, I check pref- out CDs. Yeah. And, I prefer and, the book, bookmobile. Yeah. And, and, well, same uh, thing with the book. Like a lot of writers them. don't like libraries. Yeah. Right. It's not not a thing anymore. I, I wouldn't think, but uh, I think the concept of taking something like take taking something as as awesome as a library, a, com- a community a community thing like a library that's there for everyone, paid for by us taxpayers, so we can go soak up knowledge. Taking that and abusing it in that way is is pretty fucking shitty. Mm-hmm. I. Yeah, yeah, it's free to use and check out, but I don't know. It's like it's like stealing it's like stealing one of the books, essentially. It's like borrowing on a mass scale. What, what's fascinating is now with with what I'm doing for MTV is dealing with comic books, and what's happened in the music industry is happening a lot with comic books now. People are buying comics and throwing the money in on the internet, and people are sharing them. There's like torrent files for comics. Yeah, you know, and this is another group of artists. This is their job. They draw and create and write and whatever. And their work is being just sent out en masse to the world. I can't imagine the average comic artist makes much money either. So. Oh, no. It's all about how more. And also think about the time it takes on a monthly basis to do it and that kind of thing. It's very interesting. That's why I always bring up the library issue because we had a writer on Tim Kreider who made a, made a little joke about libraries. Well, because I was like, because uh, I discovered him through the li- I read an article in the New York New York Times or something and then I got his book out from the library and read it and I was like this is awesome and he came on the podcast and I was like yeah I got your book out from the library and then I like sort of felt like a dick but it was also like I never would have gone to a store and bought it some mm-hmm. book by some guy I never heard of probably because in a weird way the library buys one copy right and you get to read that one copy as many times as you want right but you don't buy that copy but I think it's different because I feel like I don't read books that often where it's like a record I'll listen to it mm-hmm. every day or whatever mm-hmm. But you need to see where the, where the shift yeah, is. Yeah, 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 I mean? for sure. But like, also, uh, I, I can I can see where a writer's coming from, where they know that that you're going to read it once. It's not like if you borrow a CD and you're like, oh, that was great, and you give it back like a book, you're going to want that CD, so you, you have a reason to actually go and buy it. But if you read a book once, you can just be done with it. And that's no, it. it's true. But, like, I've done stuff where, like, I got, like, Adam Carolla's book out from the library and, like, just randomly and read it, and I was like, oh, I think my dad would like this, and then yeah. I bought it and had it sent to him. It's like, I wasn't going to buy that for my dad unless I had to. So it's like sometimes you also have to look forward a couple steps down and maybe be, like, exposing people to this thing here might help me down the road, I guess. Yeah. Also, I'm stating the obvious. I'm very aware of that, and this is, you know, <laughs> listen, man, the same way you can't sell a CD for eighteen ninety nine now, dude, you go to Barnes & Noble and buy a new book in, in hardcover, it's like fucking 32 bucks. Yeah. Yes. Like, I know yeah. I'm stating the obvious, but, dude, with the economy, I mean, with everything that's going on, like, dude, come on. No, I totally agree. I wait for yeah. paperbacks. Just saying. Dude, I know I'm, again, I'm stating the obvious, but from a consumer standpoint, I'm, you know, a, a piece of uh, literary work definitely has value, but $32? Well, it's interesting, too, because when Kindle started, all the books were 10 bucks, and then the publishers came in, and now they can sort of set the prices, and I feel like I wonder how long that's going to last before yeah. people just start downloading them, and they have to sell them for 10 bucks. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a sad comfort that it's what the music industry is dealing with, other artists have dealt with for years. Like, you know, if you're a painter, and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. oh, there's a print, I didn't sell yeah. that. Or a photographer. Oh, Think about yeah. It. yeah. Oh, the worst, Dude. yeah. yeah. I, I actually didn't i never thought about that until we interviewed lisa johnson photographer lisa johnson um for the documentary can you imagine how many of her warped photos are just floating around the internet just people putting them on 
their you know their facebook their fucking their their fan sites whatever the fuck they have that shit has been happening to to photographers for a lot longer than you know we musicians have been dealing with, with this shit you know because it did it did take a little bit before the average um the average internet connection the average hard drive had enough space and enough speed to deal with mp3s i mean remember in high school like this is going to make me feel old as fuck. But I remember in high school when I, I heard, the very first time I heard a song played from a computer, I was like, holy fuck. And I said, how big, you know, how big is this file? And I was like, dude, how could you possibly, what, are you going to have like, three songs, <laughs> yeah. you know? <laughs> but, but photos, it's a tiny little file. They've been dealing with this shit forever. Yeah. What's, what's, what's interesting is like, okay. Like, the, I think we're past the tipping point. I think it's just a mathematical certainty that music will just be free one day. I think we can kick, fight it, kick and screaming. Corporations can fight it. People can complain about it, but I, I, I just maybe I'm completely wrong because you know whatever. But I don't know, man. I think it's just kind of a we're going in that direction, you know. Just the same way, you know, there's never been a a, a weapon invented that we eventually didn't use, you know. The the technology's there. We're, we're not going to go back to the old model. It's never going to fucking happen, you know. And um. You know, the world being connected the way it is and the way data is traded, it's such a double-edged sword because our band, dude, how many fans do we have because someone stole our music, you know? You know what I'm saying? Like, how many people, you know, in China or, you know, North Dakota or anywhere that's like... That's a good comparison, actually, with their recent laws. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's so many people that know of our band strictly because, you know, they illegally downloaded it or just like, oh, I've heard that name, I'll check it out, but like... It's such a double-edged sword, and you know? It's hard say, uh, to quantify anything, you know? Well, you can say other countries illegally downloading. might not be illegal there. Yeah. Because the United States has long copyright laws. Other mm-hmm. countries do not. Yeah. So it, it really depends on where you are, how how your music is sent and used elsewhere. You know, you might be in a country where they're like, doesn't apply here. We're going to take that song, you know. Till mm-hmm. the Day I Die is going to be a Coke commercial over there. <laughs> and there's nothing you can do. You know, it's just how that works. So and, what what would you guys want to say maybe to like Story of the Year fans who what's the best way for them to support you guys, I guess? Like what would you what would be the ideal kind of dynamic of that relationship? Um obviously we're kind of on a different like you know, there's like the Lady Gaga's, the Justin Timberlakes, and there's the baby bands. You know, we're obviously somewhere in the middle, but getting kids out to shows and like okay, merchandise, like t shirts, people don't understand to the extent that I think they should probably should understand, that is a band's livelihood. Bands aren't getting money from record labels like they used to. Bands aren't getting these giant pub deals like they used to. Sinks are so or few. Or any of it, for that matter. Yeah, I mean, this, like, sinks and license, everyone's trying to get in a Chevy commercial. Everyone's saying, oh, if I can just get my song in this commercial, we're going to be the next fun. You know, we're going to be the next Lumineers. Dude, that stuff is so few and far between, and so, like, that is lightning in a bottle, you know? The number one way you can support artists that you love is go to the show, buy a t-shirt. Because that is how bands get from city to city. That is how they keep their, you know, uh, apart from, they keep their lights on, you know? That's... Would you want that to change, though? Because, I mean, speaking as someone who's, uh, you know, you're a dad, you know, being away mm-hmm. for a time, like, touring is hard. And you've done it. You guys have definitely put your time in. Yeah. yeah. And you're, you're away from home. Yeah. I mean, would you want to see if that is definitely a good part of the livelihood like tour structure changing like being able to be home more and yeah on, it, that on a personal level is something i battle with i, I battle every day because i, I mean, i'm just gonna be completely 
open with you, like, there, I've had so many moments where I'm just like, dude, I'm done. I'm so fucking done. I'm going to go get a job. I'm just, I can't handle this shit. You know, being away from my kid for more than a couple of days is like heart wrenching, you know? And it's, it's, dude, it's, it's painful, you know? Um, the idea that I'll have to tour you around to make, you know, a third of what I used to make. Because, it, you know, file sharing and piracy has eroded the foundation of what was once our livelihood. But yeah. s- but still, like, what it all comes down to it, that's what I do. I make music. I fucking love it. When I pick up my guitar and, you know, everything just comes together and I just make a song or I just write a lyric or something, dude, that is like a high that no drug can give me, you know? It's like, it's what I do. You know, I, I, I'm i not ready to give it up yet. You know, I, 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 I love it. Like, I absolutely love it. Yeah, what- but it's like when you have a kid, there, it's that saying of it's it's how you, it's the airport. You know, when you're on a plane, mm-hmm. you take care of yourself. You put the mask on you, then put it on them. So you're doing this to take care of them, but it's mm-hmm. hard, you know, for them to have the, for her to have the life, you know, for the, have the life they live, you know, it's difficult. And it makes it hard, I mean, why we're going all deep and everything. What makes it hard is like when, the, when like my, my kid's four. She just turned four. And these years, like, there's only a f- couple years before she's going to fucking hate me. And you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm never going to get yeah, this time. Yeah, happens ta- a lot to you. Like, I'm never <laughs> going to get this time back, you know? And it's like, you got to balance it. It's like me missing out on all this time. I'm never going to get back. Is it worth, you know, the 1800 bucks I'm going to make in Australia? <laughs> you know, like, holy shit, dude. It's, and I'm not, you know how many artists are in the same situation where it's just, that's the unfortunate thing. Cause I think you're going to see, I mean, we have seen, I, we have friends and bands like the break up right and left because dude, it's not worth it to, to a lot of people to get in a van, shower once a week, you know, it's like, fuck yeah, there's a Taco Bell. I can take a dump. You know, like, the glamour, dude, you know, you've been around this shit for so long. Like, the glamour that all the, the that shit doesn't exist for most bands. You know, it's a working class industry. And leaving my my wife and my kid to do that, to make, you know, <laughs> what we make, it's tough, dude. It's tough. What, what, what really, really... But it's still the coolest job in the world, so, you know. <laughs> what really, really bothers me is, to go back to you talking about, you know, putting on a guitar and that that feeling that you get when you make music and that being the most important thing. And, you know, Bert saying in the trailer, I'll do it no matter what. All, all of this, all of this that we all, you know, that all of us musicians and artists feel, I, I feel is kind of, uh, I'm spacing out here. It's, um, it's used as an argument. It's used as sort of like a cop-out argument to say, well, you know the real artists are gonna. You know they don't. They don't care about money. They're gonna do it no matter what. So I'm that's gonna. That's bullshit. So I'm gonna steal this fucking Picasso. That's yeah. crap. Yeah, I hear that shit all the time. You know, I read that on you know online from kids. All I have fucking arguments with kids on Twitter. But, I read this shit all the time, and that it's bullshit to say that. You know, if artists who really love it are gonna stick it out no matter what, and the ones who are in it just for the money are gonna fucking bail, so I can take whatever I want from these motherfuckers is. It's just wrong. Well, it's also insinuating that if you want to make a living off your art, that you're not as pure as someone right. yeah. who yeah. says that they don't. Yeah. Who and, also is probably lying. And I know, <laughs> I know this will like offend people, maybe, and people are going to be like, oh, what the fuck ever. But, like, dude, there's a lot of like legit, legit art that probably isn't made because the dude has to work 60 hours a week, you know? Like... You know, like a you know a Led Zeppelin, a Led Zeppelin four. Would that have been Led Zeppelin four if the dude, you know, if Jimmy Page and Robert Plant and the boys had to, you know, drive trucks all around town delivering newspapers or some shit instead of working on their art? You know, um, 
again, I'm stating the obvious, but I see that with a lot of friends bands and stuff. Like they, they literally just can't afford it. So you have to go get jobs and the fans are mad. It's like, why don't you, why aren't you, why don't you guys tour? Why don't you come to Cleveland? Like, I need a new record. I need a new record. It's like, well, we're working, you know, I work at the Apple store, you know, I work at uh, Urban Outfitters. I, I can't come on tour, you know? If you're a 19 year old kid and you live in your mom's basement, that's one thing. But you're a 26, 27 year old dude. You're starting to like, hey, I maybe want a family. You know, I maybe want to, you know, I maybe want to own something. You know, it's tough, dude. Well, what's yeah. interesting to me is I have a lot of friends, kind of my age, like early 30, early to mid 30s, who have dropped out of college, whatever, started bands, and now their kind of bands are winding down, mm-hmm. and you know, never had a job. You know, like they've sustained for this long. So many people, and it's like. That is that to me is so scary and so weird. Not that you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. all you know, like just having that kind of fall apart and not having anything else because you can't really make it unless you give everything into the band. Yeah, dude, that that is my life story. I have I don't have a college education. I have music. I have what I've done. You know, and <laughs> I could talk about that all day. It's scary <laughs> as shit, and especially like the economy. Like, dude, it's I my brother you know, attended NYU, like full honors, everything. It took him eight months to find a job. Like it's shit. It's rough out there. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, Hey man, I spent 10 years, uh, farting on my bandmates and getting drunk and throwing up. And, uh, I've made some really great art and, and hire me, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> stuff. What qualifications that you have? Well, I got these records that we sold that yeah. played on the radio for a yeah. bit. Uh, to segue in, what's going on with story of the year? Uh, Three of the guys died in a tragic helicopter accident. Oh, that's a shame. No, that's bullshit. Well, it's our 10-year anniversary of our first album. We're doing a wow. world tour to support it. <laughs> 10 God, years. Aged. Yeah. You just, I just saw gray hair created at this <laughs> you moment. You can see it right here. Why well, die? My, my whole head's gray. I have to dye the whole thing. Do you? Dude, I'm almost silver there. Fox. Go I didn't say it. that. Nah, my wife is like, can't. I'm, she's like, no, not she yet. She won't bang you? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, I am married. <laughs> am I right, right? Uh, no. Yeah, I don't know. He's like, I'm still a rock star, dude. Shut the fuck up. Um, Ten years? Yeah, man. Ah. September 2003, our first album was released. Sweet Jesus. Wow. So we're doing, um, we're doing, uh, what is it, a week and a half of Warped, and we're also doing a full world tour playing the album front to back yeah starting in japan and uh everything else is a big ass secret so don't even ask us <laughs> good for you playing the full record i think that's awesome when people do that dude we're gonna do in start sequence. to back and then we'll play a bunch of fan favorites because that way people but... know if it's a song they don't like they can pay <laughs> <laughs> was it hard were there any songs on that record that you hadn't played in a long time was it any of them hard to learn we, here, or you're like what am i doing dude we did this show in st louis right before we took a hiatus and did the same thing it was kind of like a lot of people thought we were you know going to break up whatever but we made a decision it's like dude we are officially beating a dead horse it is time to go away so we spent three years away you know but right before we took a hiatus we did this show in our hometown where we played the we did the whole album in sequence start, like start start to finish we promoted it that way it sold out you know the big uh room in st louis sold out um show was amazing dude and uh booking agent was like you guys need to do this everywhere you know to do this everywhere and we were just like we should wait three years till 2013 and make it like make it special make it make it special and all that stuff so here we are well yeah. very very smart and very ballsy to not do the hey we broke up route and then do yeah. it right we i mean a lot of people do that i don't know if they yeah. do it intentionally at all i think some do some don't but it probably 
when you, when, okay, look, when, when you grow up, and you're like, or you're, you're growing up and it's like, this band broke up, this band broke up. You're like, man, it sucks. It's the worst thing in the world. But now, like, knowing what we know, it's like, dude, it's all a business move, man. It's all calculated. Bands, you know? <laughs> I have a friend's band and they didn't break up, but they took a lot of time between records. Yeah. And I was like, dude, if you guys had just said you broke up, people would have cared so much more. Yeah. And I don't know why, yeah. but I feel like you feel like you're missing out on something and yeah. then you get a chance again. or Because otherwise you're like, oh, I'll just catch them next time. They come here every year. Yeah. You know, you get... Yeah. A couple, I mean, we talked about that. It's like, should we for real, like, just say that we're breaking up? And when it came down to it, it's like, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be disingenuous to our, our fans. I don't, that's just like, you have to respect the people that, you know, put you where you are, the people that pay for your, you know, to come to your shows and the people that support you and what you do. It's like, we didn't want to lie to people, you know? So it's just like, we'll go away, you know? But in the meantime, I mean, you were, the last time I talked to you, it was Greek fire. Yeah, we're still doing that. Yeah. I mean, I, dude, I need that. That's, that is such a creative outlet for me. I, I, I like, I need that band, you know? Doing that. Doing a story, doing this. Yeah. All pieces of the puzzle, you know? And you did a lot of drugs. <laughs> I was in that band. <laughs> drugs. Now that was... I mean, this could probably be a podcast in itself, but was that, was, was band, was drugs put together? Was that like, it started, um, started with Craig Owens and John Feldman. Um, Craig, er, John Feldman was supposed to do the Chiodos record. Then Craig got kicked out. He still wanted to make an album. So they said, let's start writing some songs. Let's get some dudes together and kind of build a band. And as much as it was Craig's thing, as the band came together, it became, a real band. All the dudes wrote, you know, as they were added, all became very in- integral parts of the process of, you know, of everything about the band. I came at the tail end, and I was still touring with stories, so I wasn't there for writing and recording. I only tracked two songs on the album. But um, it was very much a band. Yeah, it was. It started with Craig, but it was a band, for sure. Because it was, um... It was, what, Matt from, from First to Last? Yeah, Matt Good from First to Last. Aaron Stern from Matchbook Romance, yep. Nick, Bar- Nick Martin from Underminded, and he was in some side projects with Craig as well. And then, you know, and then me from, from Metallica, Led Zeppelin, and the Beatles. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Little well, let's fact. talk about Rubber Soul, because I can never decide if that's my favorite record or Revolver. It really depends on the day. It's up to you, mate. <laughs> mate. <laughs> but that's done. Yeah. Um, I quit. Um... <laughs> Why did you quit? Uh, and then the other guys quit. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you they quit? They were like, oh, Adam quit. Fuck this. Why'd you quit, man? You feel like you just OD'd on that band? Why'd you quit, man? <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Why'd you quit, man? <laughs> what else you guys got going on? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so Story of the Year is doing the big tour uh, for the 10-year anniversary. When do you think the documentary will come out? I only ask because I have a friend who's been working on a documentary for years, and it's literally like you work on it for years and then yeah. you put it together. Yeah, um, we we you want to go? No, <laughs> we um we set the Kickstarter deadline for ourselves uh, at August of this year. Um, we hope to be done by then, but it's one of those things where the farther we get into it, the more interesting different facets of it become. The, the farther we want to go into that. And the more artists we get involved, the more leverage we have to get larger artists. Yeah, to, you know, like just so, we just right before we came here, we were interviewing David from Disturbed, and he was all about it. So, I mean, this is so awesome. It's like you know, I could put you in touch with Tom Morello. Like, it's like it's, it's like finding the cutoff. It's like we're never going to find the cutoff because it just keeps snowballing. You that's know? what. So happens. we have to at some point. Yeah. That's, 
what happened with my friend with the documentaries. People aren't saying no. Yeah. Right. So he, you, you have to decide as the documentarians when to stop this. Yeah. You know, and stop what, it. And what changes? Yeah. That's, How, what, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, you go ahead. I'll just say that's that's the other thing is that, I mean, essentially, there's a huge responsibility on our shoulders to tell a story in a journalistic manner. Like, you know what I'm saying? And um, we're getting so much good stuff, but I don't think we're even anywhere close to being finished with interviews. So it's going to be a couple more months at least. Sorry. What's your idea for distribution? Like, because it, it would be ironic and shitty if like people just downloaded the documentary yeah. you know right. what i mean well, here's there's there's a um yeah we sh- we gotta on that Exclusive point deal with limewire that shit's coming back <laughs> oh um there's there's some stuff going on between this, uh behind the scenes with you know we're exploring different avenues for licensing and um different dist- distribution options and all that when we originally started we were like dude we're keeping every you know we're gonna do this ourselves like show that in 2013 with the technology available and the resources at hand like you can literally make a film with you know with a shoestring budget and the world could see it you know do it throw it on itunes you know that was kind of like the initial plan it's like we're going to do everything every aspect this will be done by him and i but as it you know continues to evolve and grow in scope i think we're realizing like pretty much on a daily basis like we should think bigger you know you know, it's interesting. My friend Seth just did a documentary in Spain, Silkworm, mm-hmm. and uh, he spent six and a half years on it. And he released it five bucks, you get it. Ten bucks, you get it, plus live footage. Mm-hmm. Twenty bucks, you get all the bonus stuff that was edited out. Mm-hmm. And they sold over a thousand. It's like a pretty obscure band, but I yeah. feel like that model was cool because I was like, twenty bucks for everything? Like, yes. Yeah. You know, we, we've talked about <clears throat> a, lo- a lot of things that might surround the documentary, not just necessarily the film part of it which we won't get into at this point, but there's just, there's so much content. There's so many opinions. There's so much information that I feel like trying to cram it all into an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes won't quite tell the full story. Although it'll be a a great film, there's, there's more to say. So it'll be just the beginning. I also wanted to, I feel like we've talked a lot about like maybe the negative repercussions of downloading and that stuff. Could you guys maybe talk about, because you guys also seem optimistic about the future. I mean, could you talk about that a little bit? Maybe that feeling and maybe the positive things that you see maybe moving forward? Dude, I'm optimistic as shit. Like, there's a, there's a weird kind of thing where it's like, we've all had moments as, as, as artists and creative people. It's like, it's really easy to do the blame game. It's like, my band isn't huge because the manager and the book, these people aren't doing their jobs. And if only people didn't download my stuff. Like, I, I like, have dinner with my family. And, you know, and, and they'll be like, well, if everyone didn't download your music and if people bought it, you you know, everything would be fine. I'm just like, maybe, you know, we're, maybe our time has passed. Maybe we're, we're just not saying something interesting enough. Maybe we're just not amazing. Maybe we're just pretty good, you know? And that's that kind of self-analysis and just being bluntly honest with yourself. I think it's like a healthy thing, you know? Um, that being said... There, we are, we're kind of on the cusp of, I think, of, about, uh, of some really fantastic art that's going to explode, you know? I mean, you look at what's going on with mainstream music, like, p- people like Adele, people like Mumford, dude, these are, love them, hate them, these are legit artists. They are legit musicians, legit writers, they are the real deal. And so, With major mainstream success at this point. Yeah. And, well, Adele does hire people. Dude, she, she writes songs with folks. You know? Absolutely, but you know what? I think people's ears are getting tired of the same old shit that's crammed down their throat, 
and Adele comes out and it's you know it's she's not a um a puppet she's not like blonde hair you know you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. she's a legit artist that's killing it on a mainstream level with mainstream you know the full machine behind her and everything and it's legit you know she's but a, that's two in like a bazillion you know that's, what i'm saying that's what i'm saying right, i think yeah. we're i think we're on the cusp i think people are getting tired of um you know what's kind of maybe been going on the last couple of years and i think we're going to see some really great genuine art and i think there's there's also there's so many tools in the hands of literally everyone you know yeah. it, it, any kid can go buy a cheap computer buy some kind of recording interface and make a pretty decent sounding demo i mean i remember when we were coming up you know we would s- scrape together all this money do a show or two to try to make a demo spend a few days in a studio cost us a couple thousand dollars and it sounded like shit yeah you know what i mean now any kid with a laptop can make a really great sounding demo yeah granted they're probably pirating the software they're probably stealing all the drum samples and everything but but, but they can do it you know a kid can sit on a laptop in starbucks make an make an edm album and just be a global phenomenon but also on the same token like i i could grab those instruments out there and we could plug in to your Pro Tool system, and we could all make a song right now, and we could start a band right now, and in three hours, put it on Facebook, and we're a band, we're producers, we're songwriters, it's out there. on YouTube, yeah. Yeah, I mean, anyone can do it now. But the thing is, there's so... But Sgt. Pepper was still two four-track pushed together. (laughs) But but my point is, there's so much much noise out there, and there's so much shit. I think to rise above it, like, it's going to get to the point where only the great, great art makes it through the filter, makes it through the noise. And how's that bad? You know? How's that not great for everyone? So maybe that's a, 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 you know, a significant upside to this whole thing, you know? I think as soon as people figure out, and this is what's interesting, is this argument's been going on for so long, and going after fans was the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And because all fans want is to listen to the music, you yeah. know? And... Going after corporations is a hard thing to do because, yeah, they're out to make money, but there's people who work there who legitimately love the art and the people they work with, and they want to make it big. I've talked to more A&R reps, I'm sure you guys have too, mm-hmm. who get so bummed when yeah. something doesn't work, you know, yeah. and they, they can't figure out why, yeah. you know, and you want that to sell and you want that to work. So I think it's just, I don't know if it's, I, I think it's going to localize that you're going to have your fans forever and what you do is going to be sustainable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's going to be through the internet, whether it's um, a subscription service yeah. or it's um, all the music is is free, but you guys are going to be sponsored, you know? Yeah. You know, Converse brings you the story of the year Dude. tour. Tickets are free, but you can buy a shirt, you can buy the record there, you can do mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, I don't know how that'll work with the venue. It's, it's so fascinating when... Downloading first got huge because before Napster, I was on this thing like getting records and doing all that because I was I had not a lot of money and liked music and mm-hmm. sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, but I did it. And I also copied a lot of tapes, made a lot of mixtapes in high school, mm-hmm. not on the bigger scale, but I've always been doing it. I've yeah. always been doing that. Um, someone wrote, uh, far be it for someone other than the music industry to screw an artist out of their money. <laughs> yeah. Are you going? Are you going? Go, go um, ahead there. Sorry. You guys are so democratic about it. I know. I feel like me and Steven just like jump on each uh, other. <laughs> um, but also think about this. Like 
you know, everyone talks about, you know, tape killed the A-track, um, CDs killed tapes, all that stuff. All those new technologies came from the corporations and the companies. File sharing didn't. People do it because they want it. And it's convenient. And it's fucking... An iPod is awesome. Mm-hmm. A smartphone is awesome. And any company, the f- number one goal should be making the people that buy your products happy. You know? That should be the goal of any company, whether you're selling Little Debbie treats, records, skateboards, whatever. It's all about... If you have the ability to file share Little Debbie, we are going to make <laughs> a lot of money run. Dude, 3D yeah. printers, that's where everything's going, man. Oh, yeah. man, have you seen hey, that shit? For real, t- for real, real talk. Think about that. Right now, we're dealing with entertainment media. We're dealing with, you know, audio, video, print in, in the file sharing world. That's what's taking a hit now. But what we have to learn from this is that eventually everything's going to boil down to data. 3D printing is already really getting pretty cheap. It might sound like some far-fetched Star Trek shit, but when nanotech really hits hard and you can literally download a file that's going to print you out, you know, a cell phone cover or a fucking cheeseburger for that matter, it's, this is going to be significant on all levels for every single industry. So we got to figure it out before the shit really hits the fan. And that, I think that's happening way sooner than people think. I mean, yeah. you, it seems like, oh, that won't happen for hundreds of years, Like, but Moore's Law and all that exponential that's, yeah. technology. Are you, like, curls, are you a Curls Wildfire? Huge. Yeah, okay. <laughs> did, you, did you read the book? Yes. All right. I read Which, the, what, Singularity I've, is near. I read Singularity. I just read the one, Creating a Mind. Steven. The new one. These guys are dorks. <laughs> Dude, I met Kurzweil. At did him. you? I saw and him I, speak recently. Was he cool? Yeah, he was rad. He was super nice. And Should I also, we come back? Or? <laughs> should we get to talk about toys and things? Kids? <laughs> Seriously, though, anyone listening to this should go on Netflix and watch Transcendent Man. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, I need to watch that. So, I saw a screening of that. And, did you? And that's when I saw that dude. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking... I, f- I feel like that, that film's amazing and it's a good uh, kind of intro to the whole concept, but I don't think it, it does it justice at all. It's a good story. Yes. But I feel like a lot of people watching go, this guy's obsessed with his dad. Right, right. Yeah, that whole <laughs> angle, I wish they hadn't included that much. Cause it, yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah. And now he's moved on people. to the brain and how we map the brain and how like reverse engineering the brain. And, and he's also the chief engineer at Google now. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. As of December no, well, then we're all in for it. Shit. So now they're going to Google map your head. I'm stoked for that shit. I can't wait to plug in. So there, Adam and Ryan from Story of the Year. Please check out Whoever Killed or Saved the Music Industry. Did I get that title right? Let's make sure. Who Killed or Saved the Music Industry, not Whoever. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I think that, it's I think it's the document. It's called whomever, whomever saves the music. None of us state. here study grammar. Jonah's the writer, so he would know before any of us. Good dudes, check it out. Um, I don't know when it's going to be released, but they have been working on it, working on it, and so many people are talking to them. They're getting crazy industry insiders. I think they came to speak with us after talking with um, uh, David Dramian from Disturbed. Like, yeah, that's pretty crazy. I hope they don't work on it too long, because if they do, they'll be working on it until the day they die. Oh, there it is. Shabam. Story of the year <laughs> pun by Jonah Bear. Hey, if you like all those puns, why don't you donate to hear more at goingofftrack.com? <laughs> or you can write in your own puns at facebook.com slash goingofftrack. I, I really want to mention the pun that I actually had today before we started taping. Please. Uh <laughs> Brad has these pop filters. 
on the mics and one fell and I said it was more like a drop filter. Yeah, that's a good one. I was pretty proud of that and I want everyone to know it. Cool. Uh, for a list of Jonah's puns, you can check out his new book on Harper's. <laughs> or hang out with me and be endlessly annoyed. <laughs> and if you donate enough money, we'll make Jonah stop punning. <laughs> I totally agree. It's totally fine. I support that. Yeah!